0: Good morning. This is really awkward. I had one more sermon left in Philippians, but we're going to Ruth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, we're going to be at Ruth today, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, so if you have your Bible, go there. Um, have you ever had that nagging feeling that nothing you do really matters, as in, Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And you have very little, really, if any, leverage over the outcome of your own life or, or maybe even in the lives of those people that you love and those around you. If you've ever felt that way, this is a good place to go. Ruth is a good book for us. Um, This feels like Dorian, right? The destruction. Nobody wanted that to happen. What do you do? Do you leave? Do you stay? Do you even have the opportunity to leave? You basically just watch your life blow away. So we will find ourselves in situations where we have to make decisions that we do not want to make. Neither one is a good outcome. You didn't want any of it. And you're forced there. Leave, stay, quit. What do I do? As we jump into Ruth, one of the beautiful things about this book is that God is teaching us that every move you make matters. Regardless of how insignificant you feel or how little agency you have in the situation, every move matters. And here's one way um, you know, it's school time, so kids are going back to school, and maybe you know some parents. Um, and they'll bring back a picture that they made, and parents will stick it up on the refrigerator, and they will actually show it to you when you come over, and you're like, that's disgraceful. Why Why would you put that out there? Here's why that works. We've talked about this before. When you love somebody, there's no detail of their life that's insignificant to you. When you're in a relationship with the living God, do you know it works the same way? There's no detail of your life that is insignificant to him. There's no randomness that that just gets by him or slips through his fingers. We're going to see this in Ruth in a way that is so encouraging and so powerful. So get ready for that. Um, Ruth is a story of this unlikely friendship that gets forged in despair. And the person that should have faith in God or in Yahweh has very little faith. And the person that has no reason to trust God ends up having faith, and it turns everything upside down in a nation. So it's a great book. Now, I'm going to show you something here. You might have got one of these little booklets when you came in. It's a little booklet of Ruth. It's a journal, a scriptural journal. So it has Ruth in it. It has the text in it, but it also has a place for you to write. So I hope you have a pencil. We didn't think about this, but I'm going to ask you to write some things down today. Maybe you're not one of those people that take notes. That's fine. It's not a sin to not take a note, except now. So I'm going to ask you to write a few things down there. If, did anybody not get one of these when you came in? Just don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Another, okay, so we have some out there, so if you need to go get one um, we'll laugh at you. So we're, we're going to use these and we're not going to give them out every Sunday. So keep it and bring it back. So it's, um, if it's underneath like the format of your car, we're not going to give you another one. So, um, but we want you to use these as God teaches us. Here's a few things I want you to be prepared for in Ruth. One of the things I want you to learn. I want you to learn to see the pattern of God's providence in your life. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I know. Learn learn to watch how God works. Know that every move you make matters. Secondly, I want you to learn this. Um, Risk everything on the loving kindness of God. Because of his faithfulness to you, because of his love for you, do not doubt him. Do not back away. Risk everything on that and then as you learn to do that, you will find yourself spending your entire life with love and kindness. It will change how you live as you understand how God loves you. So we're going to walk through this today. Um, a few things we always want to know when we jump into a new book of the Bible. Who's it written to? It's written to Israel, but it's a very dark time in Israel's history. It's not good. What is the aim Um, probably this, God wants you to know that his plans always move forward, even in, or maybe especially in, your broken plans. Your broken plans, your disaster does not limit God, but in the way he works is he works through that to bring forward his plan, both in your life and in redemption, so we need to understand that. And then, lastly, uh, th- this ge- this genre this is very different than most of the Bible. So it's a short story, historical narrative, wisdom literature. I know I threw a lot of tags on there, but it functions as all of those. And I love it because you, you don't really see God in it; He's behind the scenes. But it teaches providence. It's not a book on theology like maybe one of Paul's letters. Oh, but do you learn providence? Right? It's not like Matthew where Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God, but you understand what it looks like to live under God's kingship in a new and powerful way. So we're going to jump right in. Um, this is Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Oh, it's in the Old Testament. Here we go. Okay. Let me just read this to you, and we're going to walk through. And just so you know, these first five verses in Ruth, they serve as a setup. The author has put them in here as a setup to, so that we can understand and benefit from the rest of the narrative. Okay, here we go. In the, days when judge, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Shilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Father, I can't read this and not pray for your mercy, God, for those who are struck by Dorian in the Bahamas, even in Halifax, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would work to see lives saved, to see your people spend their lives in loving kindness, Lord, meeting these needs. Lord, as we walk into this book, we know why you wrote it. And so I pray that you will build a faith in us, Lord, in your people, that will trust in your commitment to us in such a way that we commit ourselves, Lord, to others. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We give you this time. And we ask that you would open up, Lord, your word that we might behold its treasure and beauty. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk us through how to get ready for Ruth, because that's what these, these five verses are all about. Uh, the author wants us to see the narrative that's about to happen just as he sees it. So we have to get behind the story a little bit to understand it. Otherwise, we're just going to pull out some pithy life lessons about friendship, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it, we're, just, we're not eating the meat. So we want to jump in here. Uh, So if if a big idea here is that every move matters, we need to understand how that works out. So first, we're going to talk about the backstory. What's really going on in the land at the time that this narrative took place? Well, verse 1 says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So how did we get there? So I'm going to throw some information at you. I'm going to give you the backstory. Please don't write it all down. Um, This is a little bit like uh, you're going to watch season three of your favorite season, a favorite show that drops on Netflix, but you haven't really got through season two yet. So you spend like, what, a day catching up on everything so that when you watch it, it all makes sense. This is what we're gonna do here first. We're gonna understand the backstory, the storyline. So it starts in Eden. Remember, Adam and Eve reject God as king in Eden for this reason. I find it unacceptable that you would be the one who tells me what is good for my life. That is the story of Eden. I don't think I can trust you for that. I don't need to image you. I will image me. I don't, I don't know. I think restriction is not love. So we see, we see them move away from God as king. We see God graciously move them out of Eden. And then in eight, in Genesis 12, we see Abraham show up. And God pulls him out of nowhere and makes this promise to him. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Check that. God blesses and then expects that to be a blessing to others. So we see God make this covenant with Abraham, this promise to Abraham that starts with a family, ends up building a nation. And then in Exodus, we see this nation come under slavery from Pharaoh. And they remember God's promise to Abraham. They call out to God. God shows up, delivers them out of the hand of bondage, right? By the blood of the lamb, Passover, pulls them out violently from Egypt, brings them to himself. God saves. And now are the days of the judges. Now know this. These are the grandchildren of the Exodus generation. So God delivers his people, graciously does that. He establishes his relationship with him in a new way. He calls them to move into this promised land. They don't want to do it because it's too hard. And again, they're not sure that God can be their king. So they end up wasting a lot of time in the desert. Most of them don't enter, including Moses. Their kids go in. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And they're to to move out the Canaanites, to reestablish Eden, the goal they would be a nation of, of priests that would mediate God's grace and call people to worship Yahweh everywhere. Doesn't work out. They push pause on that. And then we have a new generation. And they have absolute spiritual amnesia. So they have the identity of being an Israelite, but not the heart. So this all runs forward on God's promise, God's covenant. So what is that? Why does this matter? Well, because God's promise to his people, this is the rails that all of this story runs on. What is a covenant? Well, it's like he made to Abraham. He is making a binding commitment to bless his people. That's it. That's what a covenant is. It's a promise. Um, But it's grace, right? It's not just you do this and I'll do that. God's faithfulness to us is not mitigated or mediated by your faithfulness to him. He secures this promise in his own blood, right? He absorbs the cost of it, and he makes this promise to his people to bless them. Now, what's the purpose of a covenant? Maybe this helps. Um, It's a relationship. The purpose of his promise to his people, which we share in through faith in Christ, is for one reason, a restored relationship. A restored relationship with God, And that's the core of it. And that restored relationship goes to a restored relationship to the land and to the earth and to one another and to the nations. And this covenant spills out into total redemption. That's what redemption is. And we see a lot of it in Ruth. Redemption is a restored relationship. That's what God is working out. So we see that here. And God's people will experience blessing in this way. God working out or God working through, rather, the faithfulness of his people for what? To bring about his plans. That, that's what faith is, right? So here's a warning, something you need to know about a covenant. God is very clear with them. If you trust me and obey me, because obedience, obedience, like the willingness to obey God, is always the evidence of faith. He so said, if you will obey me, this is yours. However, if you don't, if you walk away, you're going to experience curse. If you walk away from this relationship, you're going to wish you hadn't. So he promises obedience or blessing for obedience, for faithfulness, right? Deuteronomy 28, he warns him. He says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Blessings in the city, blessings in the field, blessings in family." But for disobedience, he says this, "But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you, same language." And here's one of the things he says, "I will turn the rain into powder." Okay, so backstory. You see, this is the story of God's promise and God's people. So judges. It starts out saying, "These are the days when the judges ruled. So what are the days of the Judges like? Man, I I hesitate to tell you. Uh, First of all, open up your Ruth journal and write this last sentence in the book of Judges because it starts just before Ruth begins. Right here, I promise you. You don't have it in there, but we'll put it up on the screen. This is the book of Judges, and this is the last sentence in Judges, and then Ruth starts. Write this down. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the cultural moment in Israel during the time of these leaders called judges is that I see no reason why I shouldn't really just seek my own happiness above all. Hey, there's no king in Israel. Who cares? I'm going to seek me first. I'm going to seek my own happiness first. It seems reasonable to a degree, doesn't it? This is the worst time in Israel's history. If you have you ever read the book of Judges? It is like Quentin Tarantino violence. It's, ba- it's bad. It is awful. You know who suffers the most? Kids, women, and sojourners, resident aliens. Decimated. This is the outflow of everyone. I'm going to seek my happiness. And you know what? If your happiness gets in the way of my happiness, it's too bad. I'm going to run you over. Um, in Judges 19, a Levite, a Jew from the tribe of Levi, and his wife, concubine, were staying in Gibeah as they were traveling up north. First of all, they got there after dark. And they sit in a town square. The custom is, hey, we take him in. There's no hotels. You take him in. Nobody took him in. This old farmer, old man farmer, comes in from the field, sees him like, what are you doing? Come stay with me. He gets in the house. The people in the city knew he was there. The men show up, and they want to rape the man. But they end up taking the woman. Doing that all night. Killing her. Dumping her on the doorstep. So he cuts her up and he ships her to all the tribes in Israel. It says this, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Bottom line, these are wicked days. They were marked by faithlessness, covenant faithlessness, bad leadership, the priesthood was weak, the judges were ineffective. And Israel, instead of influencing the nations, became influenced by the tribes in Canaan. They started co-opting their culture, saying, why not? Maybe this is a better way to live. Israel had forgotten God. They had forgotten who they were. And they forgot how to love. They forgot how to live. So Ruth jumps in during the time of Judges. And this book chronicles how one family was both affected by this season of life and how God worked through them to bring hope during a hopeless season, right? So this is backstory. And the mover in all of this is famine, hunger. Now, you know how hunger drives you. It's a physical need, but there's also a spiritual hunger. But when you're hungry, like if you get hangry, nothing else matters, right? Give you a Snickers because things are going to go bad. Hunger will drive your life. It's very practical. So Israel's experiencing a famine, and understand this is an agrarian society, so they live and die on crop production. But why famine? Well, do you remember the covenant? If you ignore Yahweh, it doesn't make sense. He's gonna turn your rain to powder. He will discipline you. And so was this famine a result of that? Well, based on the time of the judges, And the author wants you to make this conclusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what does Elimelech, how does he lead his family? We're having famine. Let's get. Let's roll out. Now, this is not the first person in the Bible to do something like that. And there's some logic to it. But again, in context, there's not. So, when times get hard, let's do this. Let's leave God's presence, the land He's put us in. Let's leave God's people. Let's leave God's provision. In fact, we'll just go to Moab. We'll write it out there. We'll put some distance between us and God so that we have a little bit more control over our lives. Now, this is the backstory. This is how Ruth begins. This is where the story begins to unfold. So, as we're jumping in, ask yourself this question. When you experience hunger in this way, unmet need, pain, unhappiness, what's your normal reaction? Here's one to consider Hey, I wonder if God can be trusted because this doesn't make sense to me. Do you move away? Do you pull back to a safe distance where you have control without God's interference? Do you find yourself putting distance between God's people, between God's presence, your prayer life, um, how you're working things out in God's church? Do you just not show up, leave his provision for you? Like, d- do you see that dynamic in your life? We're you meant to see that right up front because every move matters. So, this is the backstory to the season to the time, to the age that this narrative, that this, this, this history happens. Okay, so not good. Secondly, the people and the places. Um, we're going to bring up a map because we like to do that. We, let, let me read verse 2. Listen to what's going on. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. There's a reason that the narrator puts that in there. Anything especially that happens in the beginning of a book, there's a reason for that. I'll tell you in a second. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So it looks like they're just going to sojourn and check things out. But they ended up staying there. So there's a lot of irony here. Don't lose it. Do you know what Elimelech means? El, God, Melech, it means king. It means God is my king in Hebrew. So Elimelech, his decision, his action, even though his namesake is God is my king, is to get out. It's going to be safer as God's not my king. I'm going to go over to Moab. I'm going to take my family to Moab. Let's do that. Let's not wait the famine out. Let's go. By the way, what is the call this curse for israel for us repent right you're called to repent you're called back to faithfulness you're called to love and serve one another in the midst of what you're going through this is the call but he rolls out right god is my king naomi her name means pleasantness there's just some ironicness to it because her life is not pleasant now, before you make her the villain, because it feels like she's getting set up to be the villain as we jump into the story, um, be careful. She doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. Her name is Pleasantless. Or pleasantness, sorry. I already did it. Um, Bethlehem. It gets funnier. You know what? Beth is house, and lehem means bread. House of bread. So they leave the house of bread During famine, remove themselves from God's presence, his people, his provision for them. They leave the house of bread to go find fullness elsewhere. Subtext, God is your provider, not your wealth. It gets funnier. Moab. You know what Moab's known for in scripture when it comes to relationship with Israel? Violence and inhospitality. They do not do well together. Let me read this out of Deuteronomy 23. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Why? Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. In fact, they hired Balaam to curse you. So here's the logic. Let's leave the house of bread when there's heat in our lives we we'll leave God's presence, as people, any chance of him to provide for us, we will not repent or even get in on that or even, even call our people out to that. We are going to leave and we're going to go to Moab because they have a reputation for withholding hospitality, not giving us bread, and making sure that they can position themselves to always be politically above us and destroy us. This is beyond reason. And this is how sin works. We will find ourselves moving away from the fullness that God has to get out of pain every single time. Every single time. Every move matters. Now, so that's a little bit of the backstory. A little bit about the names of the people and the places that are involved. You can see here, Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem. They've left. They've gone across the Dead Sea to Moab, which is pretty much modern day western Jordan, kind of the middle part of Jordan. And they're going to be forced to go back. But how? Listen to Naomi's life. This is a story of emptiness. Verse 3 But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. That's the only action attributed to Elimelech. He died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there for 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was again left without her two sons and her husband. This is overflowing emptiness this is a life you do not want to live. This is total, unreversible destruction. She walks in, check this out, she walks into Moab with a husband, two sons. She stays there, she's seeking fullness, right? She's seeking bread, chasing bread. She walks out of the city limits out her husband, two sons dead, and two Moabite women behind her as a reminder of everything that she lost in Moab. She walks out with no protection. This is a patriarchal society. She is not going to be able to provide for herself. She loses her future. And she's an outsider in Moab. She's overflowing with emptiness. She feels an emptiness that I pray that none of us ever feel. So this is the setup. How do we win this? Well, if you are, can we push pause for a minute? If you were her friend, how would you counsel her? There was a reason for everything. Think about it for a minute. How would you counsel Naomi? Hmm. There's no good way to do it, is there? So before you think about how to counsel Naomi, how are you making sense at this point in time of end need, your broken plans, the pain, the disaster that you're in? How do you handle? the impossible decisions that you have to make in life right now, in real time. And as you're thinking through that, here's the real question. Are you spending your life chasing bread? If you look at the movement of your life, is that what you're doing? And if you're honest, you're still starving. You're still starving. Hunger is good. It's meant to draw us to God. If you truly obey your hunger, it's not going to lead you away from him. How we might want Naomi to be canceled is this way. God is your bread. God is your bread. Not just the giver. He's your bread. John 6. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If we get this backwards, if we understand that God is the provider and we focus on what he gives us in his provision, we miss that we are called to worship the giver and this is where the real bread is. This is what you are created for. This is why you need to trust in him. You will live your life starving, So, how does Jesus enter into this? How is he the bread of life? Jesus takes on this covenant curse. Jesus takes on the emptiness of Naomi. He takes on this divorce from God. He takes on a desire that is unmet on the cross. He becomes emptiness, right? he takes on the curse or the result of our sin against God that estranges us he he swallows that right he becomes that and as we come to him and he's bread he's living bread i don't know if you've ever experienced hunger where you actually didn't have enough to eat it's not fun Right? And anybody that has would tell you that. But if you're filled with Christ, if you're trusting him in such a way that you belong to him, you're not going to chase bread at the cost of your relationship with God. You're not going to leave him or his presence or his people because of pain. Right? This is the story that God is working out in the book of Ruth for us. So I want you to write this down in your journal. And maybe you have, maybe you haven't. First is this. My every move matters. How you're responding to the circumstances you're in now matter. God, there's no insignificant detail of your life. Every move matters to him. And every move you make as you respond and as you follow God has the opportunity to change eternity. And we're going to see this flow out in the book of Ruth. Every move matters. Every move matters. Are you chasing bread? Are you chasing bread? So write that down, pray about that, and understand that if you don't, if you're, if you're still trying to figure this out, if you're like, I don't know that I even trust Jesus, I'm here as a seeker, that's fine. You have a home here. I just want to pose this question to you. Have you ever found something that will permanently satisfy the longing that you have? Have you ever come in contact with any person or anyone or any circumstance or any riches or any job that will permanently fill you and give you what you need? I'm going to bet the answer is no. It's because you're meant for a different kind of bread. You're meant to be filled up on your relationship with Christ, with God. He's reconciling this. This is what redemption is about, restoring that relationship and everything else that goes with it. So trust him. Turn from everything else. Embrace what Jesus has for you. Your sin is wiped clean. Your future is guaranteed. There is hope, and he dwells with you now. This is the call of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Um, this is the heavy beginning to a beautiful story of hope. Jesus, do not let us miss the heavy beginning. Do not let us miss, Lord, what it means to chase bread instead of follow you. Let us feel the weight of this emptiness that we might turn to you and run and be filled, Lord. As you do that, you will transform us, Lord. So we're looking forward to that. Lift all this up.